weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 50, and today we are talking about books released on April 19th, 2016. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow Will Redhead, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hey, hey. Hi. Hi. Number five zero, which is like a really big number in anything else except weeks. It is. So we, we still like, have two more weeks before the year. It feels like it's a milestone, but it's yeah. not our anniversary it's yet. It's a fake milestone. Sham milestone. Well, I mean, every week that we get to spend together is magical. It is magical. You know what else is magical? What? Kelly Link being a finalist <gasps> for the Pulitzer Prize. That was so exciting. We're recording this a little bit later than usual, so we got to see the Pulitzer announcements today. And I know you're super stoked about the winner, too. Yeah. Oh, the sympathizer is fantastic. Um, it's so fantastic. Some years the finalists come out and I'm like, hmm. But this year I I love Kelly. I did not know the other book at all. I, think, I didn't either. Oh, I've already forgotten what it was called. It's like mods, <laughs> mod, mod something, mods something. Yeah, mods line. But good for her. That'll yeah, drive sales. So yeah, that's awesome. It's always interesting to see the finalists and then the winners and wonder like. What else did they read this year? And what were those conversations like? And man, 2015 was so good for books. I do not envy the Pulitzer judges the task of narrowing those down at all. Um, Before we get going, we should say, since we're about to celebrate our anniversary, um, folks have just another couple weeks to email us questions because our one year anniversary show is going to be kind of an ask us anything. We'll do a few new releases as well because it wouldn't be all the books if we didn't actually, you know, talk about some specific books that we love. Um, But if you have questions for us, you can shoot those to us at all the books at bookriot.com and we'll get through as many as we can on the air. Yay. Woohoo! Are you ready? I'm ready. Roll on. Okay, here we go. I don't have a fancy intro for this, so I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, my first pick is called The Lie Tree by Frances Hardinge. I hope that's how you say her name. It's H-A-R-D-I-N-G-E. I think I just spelled it wrong. Anyway, um, this won the Costa Book of the Year Award recently. Uh, she wrote one of my very favorite books called Fly By Night, which is about a young girl and her pet goose who live in a land where books are banned and reading is outlawed and it has an awesome sequel. Um, she also wrote a super creepy book called Cuckoo Song. Mm-hmm. And The Lie Tree is about a 14-year-old girl named Faith. And when it opens, she and her family, um, which includes her father, mother, little brother, and her uncle, are taking a rather sudden boat trip to go live on the island of Vane. Um, it's miserable. Her mother's miserable. Uh, nobody's happy about this, and but they, it's something that they have to do. Um, her father is a reverend and also a very famous scientist who's published some papers. He studies fossils, um, but as Faith learns by snooping through his luggage when they arrive, he's been accused of falsifying some data. Like, he, it involves some glue and some wing bones. So... <laughs> Uh, he he's uh, scandalized, and she realizes that they are actually really going to lay low until the scandal blows over. Um, but shortly after their arrival, her father is murdered. Oh, dun, dun, dun. there's always something with books and or something with surprise murder in the books that you pick. Yeah, I like surprise murder, <laughs> fake surprise murder. <laughs> um, <laughs> So then, in searching his possessions for clues, because apparently Faith just cannot stop going through his stuff, uh, she's looking for clues as to who murdered him. She discovers a very strange plant 
the lie tree. It's a tree that bears fruit when she whispers a lie to it. Oh. Yeah. And if you eat the fruit that grows on the lie tree, a hidden truth will be revealed to you. So, she's whispering lies and eating fruit, but the tree keeps growing bigger, and she's not getting any closer to unraveling all her father's secrets or finding his killer, but the person who murdered him is definitely getting closer to figuring out that she's looking for them. So it's all spooky and scary, and it's so weird and fun. Um, Frances Hardinge is just really wildly imaginative. Like, all her books are, are crazy fun and smart um, and creepy. The Cuckoo Song is, like, about doll parts, like, scary doll parts. Like, <laughs> like yeah, she, but she's so much fun, and she's an incredible, incredible writer, and I feel like she deserves a lot more attention, at least here. I think she's she's pretty well known uh, in the UK, but over here she deserves a lot more attention. And again, the book is called The Lie Tree by Frances Hardinge. Awesome. I only think um, I said like half of my words right. No, they just, were good. Those were all good words. <laughs> I was like, did I just say data or data? I don't know. No, Dude, I don't having, even know how to say it. You're having that podcast blackout syndrome yeah. where you're not totally <laughs> like even sure you're saying words because that happens to me too, but you're yes. saying 100% words. Okay. All Contains right. 100% words. Good job, Loretta. Now with 100% more real words. <laughs> now I'm ready to hear your words. Yes, my words. My first pick this week is Before We Visit the Goddess by Chitra Banerjee Devakaruni. Um, she's written several other novels. This was my first time reading her, and I really enjoyed this novel. It's about three generations of women in one family. Um, it opens with the grandmother. Her name is Sabitri. She is at home in India, and she receives a letter from her estranged daughter, Bella, that tells her that her granddaughter, Tara is dropping out of college. Bella is distraught that Tara is going to drop out of college. She doesn't know how to convince her not to or to talk to her about it because their relationship is also very strained. And she's begging her mother to intercede and, you know, try to say something to her that's going to make her reconsider her decisions. So Sabitri begins to write Tara a letter, basically telling her not to give up her options, that if she doesn't go to college, she's going to end up having to rely on men for the things that she needs in life. Um, and she doesn't want her to have to do that. And in the course of imparting this advice, Sabitri starts actually just telling Tara her life story. Um, and as she does that, then we get to see Bella's life, since Bella is the middle generation. Um, we see Sabitri as a young mother and Bella's childhood and some complications that happened in the parents' relationship. Um, and then the story really begins to move around in time a lot, and it does it so seamlessly that uh, you always know uh, exactly where you are, the time periods are labeled, and you get a good sense, even though it's not linear at all, um, of how these women's lives have shaken out the way that they have. So we get to see Sabitri and her daughter Bella and Bella's daughter Tara um, at different points in each of their lives. And we ultimately piece together uh, each of their mistakes, their regrets, how each generation has unknowingly shaped the next for better or for worse. We watch as Bella, the middle one, um, moves to the United States from Bengal, India, with her boyfriend, who then becomes her husband. Um, and large chunks of the book all also focus on her experience as an American immigrant, um, as someone who's chasing the American dream and the impact on her identity that that has, and also the vast ocean that exists between uh, the expectations that immigrants have of their new lives in America and the reality that they experience. It's really a, a striking and interesting novel. There's a quote that stuck with me is, um, it struck her that America might have saved their lives, but it had also diminished them. And, uh, 
Chichra Banerjee Devakaruni really explores that notion. Uh, this is not a gay move to America novel, and it's also not a definitely don't move to America novel, but a really nuanced look at uh, what that decision can mean, not just for one person, but for the shape of their family, for the secrets that people keep, for the decisions that they make. Um, and the writing is just really lovely. I was, I just felt like I was floating along on it the whole time. I'm looking forward to reading some more of her books uh, now that I've gotten a chance to discover her voice. And if you're looking for an entry point too, this is a relatively short novel as novels go. It's under three 300 pages. And again, it's called Before We Visit the Goddess by Chitra Banerjee Devakaruni. Nice. Yes, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, also, the cover is beautiful, which I know is just a bonus, but it's worth mentioning. The cover is really beautiful. Um, before we get on to the next round, we have our first sponsor this week. Open Road Media is back, and they are reintroducing the world to the novels of English writer Marjorie Sharp. She was best known as the author of the children's book, The Rescuers, which was famously made into a Disney movie. I know that I know and love that one. Uh, but it's Marjorie Sharp's novels for adults where her talents really shine. Um, she was born in 1905, and she wrote witty comedies of manners that are set primarily in Britain during the post-World War I era. She has unconventional heroines, social commentary, and insights into human nature that make her a natural heir to Jane Austen. So if you're a Jane Austen fan and you wish that there were more like that, you might want to try these out. Um, it's been quite a while since the majority of Sharp's novels have been in print, um, but her writing still has a really dedicated fan base online which is a fascinating thing to see. And to introduce book rioters to Marjorie Sharp, Open Road is giving away a free ebook download of The Nutmeg Tree, which is a charming comic novel that follows a woman named Julia, who is an eccentric, flighty actress, as she reuni reunites with her very proper daughter after leaving her in the care of her in-laws 16 years ago. Um, Open Road Media deals in ebooks, so all of these are ebook editions. They're bringing back many of Marjorie Sharp's titles, but the nutmeg tree is free for you all and the link to download it will be in the show notes. Um, she'll also, in addition to appealing to fans of Jane Austen, be a place to go if you're looking to fill the Downton Abbey void in your life. Marjorie Sharp's novels take place right before World War II, which is where Downton Abbey leaves off. So again, check out the link in our show notes, which you can find at bookriot.com slash all the books to download your free copy of the nutmeg tree by Marjorie Sharp. And thanks to Open Road Media for sponsoring us this week. Yes, thank you to them. All right, so, I'm, re I'm really interested in what this next title is going to be. This is one of my favorite games is to look at the titles you put on our agenda when I don't know what the book is and be like, what's that going to be about? Well, I'm so glad that you're interested in the title because I've decided I'm going to intro it by using all of the Shinsky catchphrases and terms that I can think of. Bring them to me. You ready? My body is ready. The next book is a bonkers Vietnam-era war novel that is in my wheelhouse, and it rang all my bells. <laughs> I am totally here for it. <laughs> Did I do good? <laughs> I don't know if I'm proud or embarrassed of my own should, predictability. Oh, come on. They're awesome. <laughs> and that novel is called Histopia by David Means. Seriously, completely bonkers. It reminded me a little of T. Geronimo Johnson, who wrote Welcome to Braggsville. Which um, we both love. Oh, yeah. It's a bit Dennis Johnson, a bit David Foster Wallace, a bit Don DeLillo. It's completely insane. Um, again, it's called Histopia. And it opens. You, you start it, and it's like, editor's notes. And I'm like, oh, okay, editor's notes. And you start reading. And for like a few seconds, you're, it's like, history is a little different in this book. And I was like, oh, okay. And it's like... 
Then they mentioned JFK being assassinated on September 17th in Springfield, Illinois. And I was like, these are not editor's notes. <laughs> like, this is not real. But for like a few seconds, they had me. And it just opens up with these crazy editor's notes and author's notes and interviews. And it's just this bizarre alternate history with these fake notes um, about a man named Eugene Allen who has committed suicide because he is distraught over the death of his sister. But he leaves behind a novel called Histopia. And then you get into the novel and it's this crazy thing about the Psych Corps, like P-S-Y-C-H, um, which is an agency created by JFK. Not very successfully. It's kind of failing. But they were their point was to kind of help keep America mentally balanced. Um, <laughs> and they have troops that are returning from Vietnam who are being what they call enfolded, in which through drugs and therapy, they have their memories of the war er- erased, like their minds are wiped huh. um, to try and, and you know, help them. That might actually work. Yeah, and try to help them. But there's this like group of veterans um, who are have managed to avoid being enfolded, and they're like super dangerous, and they're roaming around Michigan, um, causing all kinds of problems and suffering severe flashbacks and frightening the citizens. And the main character of of Alan's novel is this like psycho killer. He goes on this murderous rampage and kidnaps a woman. Um, and then the other main character is this psych corpse agent who's trying to find him. Um, and you know, all of it is really just basically a crazy way of saying, here's what war does to people. Here's what war does to the nation as a whole. Um, it's bonkers. I'm going to say bonkers as many times as possible. Bonkers, like brilliant, just like absolutely brilliant. Um, I've never taken acid, but I imagine that this is a lot like what it would be like, (laughs) but like in a good way, not in the please don't take acid way. Um, but (laughs) like, it's so crazy and good and the writing is fantastic. Uh, I just absolutely loved it. And again, it is called Histopia. That's H-Y-S-T-O-P-I-A by David Means. Whoa. Yeah, that's all you can say when you're reading it. You're like, whoa. (laughs) It's just Joey Lawrence on repeat in the brain. (laughs) Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, my uh, next one is also a bonkers story. We previewed it a couple yeah, yeah. of times on the show. It's The Badass Librarians of Timbuktu by Joshua Hammer. Uh, this is nonfiction. It's the true account of Abdel Kader Haidara, who was hired as a collector for a government library in Timbuktu in the 1980s. And he set off across the Sahara Desert and uh, along the Niger River to visit people who were rumored to own really old manuscripts. This was just a thing that happened in the culture in Timbuktu and in Mali, where like people had these old manuscripts. There was no real centralized way to care for them. Families just passed them down from generation to generation. And sometimes government organizations tried to round them up. People were also suspicious of people taking their manuscripts and profiting off of them. Um, so it was a tough job, but Haidara was really excellent at it. He had this like special touch, this good mix of slick and smart and charming. And he was able to collect or to trade for thousands of old old uh, African manuscripts from Timbuktu and Mali. And that was many, many more in a very short time than his predecessors did collectively over like several decades. So he started amassing this collection, this huge collection of manuscripts that were one of a kind um, and important as evidence of Timbuktu's rich literary history. And over time, he got government grants. He got international grants from major organizations to build libraries to hold these manuscripts. One of the libraries had to be built twice because the first time around, they didn't realize they built it on the floodplain. <laughs> 
And so he like got a bunch of money, built the thing, and then realized that he had to go back and ask for all of that money again so that they can rebuild the library. But really this, you know, passionate advocate for preserving Timbuktu's literary culture. Um, In 2012, Al-Qaeda took control of most of Mali, which includes Timbuktu. And they began, the members of Al-Qaeda who were taking over, began to say things like, you don't have to worry about your libraries. You don't have to worry about your manuscripts. We're not interested in those. Uh, And that tipped Haidara and his other conservationist friends off to conservation, preservation, his preservation, literary preservation. Let's go with that. Um, off to the fact that actually Al-Qaeda must be looking to get these manuscripts, which makes sense because the fundamentalist uh, is interpretation of Islam that they use is sort of is anti the intellectualism and anti the mix of science and spirituality that many of the manuscripts promoted. So Haidara cooks up a scheme to remove the manuscripts from their libraries secretly, like literally under the cover of dark, and transport them around the country to keep them safe. Um, And it's fascinating. I have a few, I guess, quibbles with the book. One is um, it takes a really long time to get up to the part where the heist starts, um, or they call it a heist, but where the, you know, where Haidara and his cohorts are getting the thing going uh, to save the manuscripts. There is a lot of detail and history about um, not just the literary culture of Timbuktu, but also the sort of several decades prior to this 2012 Al-Qaeda takeover, what was happening in the area and what led to the individual men that, uh, how the individual men who led that takeover initially got involved in terrorism. Um, So there's a lot there. It was more of that than I was expecting, but all of it was really interesting. And it got me thinking about the fact that, especially here in the States, we hear a lot about what terrorism looks like and what uh, fundamentalist Islam looks like. And we hear mostly, you know, very canned media takes on that as a as stuff that's particularly about violence. Um, but this was a really nuanced look and nuanced apparently is my word of the day today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a really interesting look at um, how these conservative and violent organizations are not just looking, you know, to control the way that people live, but they're looking to control ideas. And one of the ways that you control ideas is controlling access to information and destroying evidence that other ways of thinking exist. Um, So of course, preserving literary history is important. And of course, literary history is a thing that's at risk. Um, But it was certainly an aspect of it that I had never considered before. And the story all the way around is really fascinating. Just know that if you're going to pick it up, you're going to get a lot more history than maybe you were expecting. But the heist stuff is totally worth the wait. Uh, Again, it's The Badass Librarians of Timbuktu by Joshua Hammer. Awesome. Mm -hmm. There's another book about, uh, I think, essentially the same thing coming out later this year, but I can't remember what it's called. No, I remember sending you the link being like, hmm. Right. Multiple things. We'll find out. Yeah. Yeah, and then it'll be a movie, and it'll be a cartoon, and it'll be a juice box, and it'll be awesome. And <laughs> It really cool. should be a movie. It's just a different piece yeah. of the narrative. Like, we've all seen uh, Zero Dark Thirty and watched enough episodes of Homeland. Like, it's time for a different part of the story to be told. <laughs> I've never done either of those things. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay. I've done enough of both of those for the two of us, so you're in the clear. All right. My next pick is called Maestra by Alice Hilton, and it is... A contender to the Thriller Throne, 
Um, all those Gone Girl and Girl on a Train fans, this might be the book for you. Um, it's about a woman named Judith. It takes place in London. Um, she, we don't know much about her. She's young. Um, we, what we do know is that she's absolutely gorgeous, and she works in an art gallery. Um, she seems to have had a very unpleasant childhood, and now she's working this really lousy job at an art gallery, uh, making very little money. Uh, she has very few friends. Until one night, she runs into an old classmate, and she's not really excited about socializing, but she's had a really bad day because her boss is a monster. Um, so she decides to go for a drink with her. And while they're out, her friend tells her about this place that she works. It's a champagne bar. It's like being a hostess um, where you go, beautiful women go, and men come in and pick them out for company to sit with them. And oh. the women try to get them to order like the most expensive things on the menu um, and pretend to drink them and really just throw, dump them in the plants and stuff. Um, to get, It's basically to get the guy to spend as much money as they can because they get a cut of what the, the guy makes. Um, so she agrees. She, she you knows she's tired of her job and she really could use the money. So she agrees to go um, start working as a hostess at this bar at night. You know, she goes to the art gallery during the day, bar at night. Um, but she realizes, like, she really wants more from, from life and she hates her job. Um, and she agrees to go to the French Riviera with one of her clients from the Champagne Bar. Needless to say, there's trouble. And in the end, <laughs> there's a dead body. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise murder. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, she she could, like, call the cops, you know, be like, this is what happened. Um, but instead, she decides that she's going to flee and take all his money and become someone else because she's tired of what she does and she wants more out of life. And so she becomes this, like, super femme fatale who schemes and does whatever she has to do to get what she wants, which is money and power and revenge. And also, it's, like, X-rated. <laughs> Should I mention that first? Probably so. It's it's super thriller plus X-rated. I was reading some of it, like, peeking between my fingers because I was like, oh, my goodness, this is so naughty. Oh, Am I allowed to read this yeah. or do I have to yeah, wait until yeah, I grow no. up? It's super pornographic in parts. Like, yeah. She's she's powerful. She loves sex. Um but her idea of sex is not vanilla. It's more like Rocky Road. It's just like, <laughs> it's crazy. But the book is is really fun. It's really fun. It's like Eyes Wide Shut meets The Talented Mr. Ripley as starring Amy Dunn from Gone Girl, basically. Um, I'm like terrified and turned on and kind of excited right now. <laughs> I was just like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. That's naughty. <laughs> um, but also, I... I guess I'm going to spoil it by saying it doesn't have, like, don't sit there waiting for this crazy twist because there isn't one, which is kind of refreshing after, like, every single book coming out right now is trying to get you with a twist. Um, it doesn't have one. It's just straightforward. Um, the, Judith is a lot of fun. Uh, the book is full of fancy labels and products that you've heard name dropped on Sex in the City. I was like, I know all this stuff, but only from Sex in the City. I do not ever actually own any of this, like, because who could afford it? But it's, you know, she's just really fancy and glamorous and kind of dangerous. Um, it's tons of fun. So, again, it's called Maestra by L.S. Hilton. When I first wrote it down, I wrote S.E. Hinton because my brain was like, <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. 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 <laughs> so, there you have it. Oh, can you imagine the parent complaints <laughs> of this showed up in a school library next to the outsider? <laughs> Oops. <laughs> oh, 
oh, we need to take a breather. So I'm going to go to our next sponsor <laughs> before right. I do my next pick. And Book Riot is taking this spot this week. Um, Book Riot Live is happening again this November, November 12th and 13th. It's a Saturday and Sunday in New York City. Two days of book nerd delightful fun, including a live version of this here podcast uh, that is bound to include giggling and blushing and all manner of ridiculousness. And um, we have some basically early bird tickets that are on sale right now. If you buy your ticket at bookriotlive.com by May 31st, you get $40 off your registra- registration price. You get a free Book Riot Live water bottle so you can stay hydrated during the main event. And you're going to get first crack at registering for special RSVP events. Um, you also will have a better chance of attending our fancy cocktail party in the Strands Rare Book Room, which is beautiful. And I think we only have like 30 tickets to that left um, out of the more than 100 that we started with. It was really um, so- fun last year. It's so fun. And last year we had to add a second one because the first one sold out quickly. Um, It looks like this one is going to sell out pretty soon as well, but I'm not sure what our other events are going to be. So if you're thinking about coming, go ahead and register at bookriotlive.com. Again, save 40 bucks off your ticket price, get your water bottle and get first crack to RSVP um, for our strand party, but also for any other special events that we have. The first registrants will will continue to be notified um, of special RSVP uh, events. And that includes like whatever the fancy speakers are going to be. If their panels are going to be gated for RSVPs, you'll get a first chance at those. We would love to meet you. It was a ton of fun last year. Um, This year is going to be even bigger and better. Let's go to bookriotlive.com to see all the information. I think by the time this show is out, there will be the the first speakers will have been announced. And I'm really excited uh, about who they're going to be. So you can get some information about that too. Come hang out with us in November. Okay. We'll have to figure out what our uh, uniform is going to be this year since we have our big spoon, little spoon tank tops. I have no ideas yet. So I'm thinking. Yeah. We'll think about it. Uh, my next pick this week is the paperback release of a title that I really loved last year. It's called Spinster Making a Life of One's Own by Kate Bollock. Um, Kate Bollock, it was a young woman like in her mid late 20s, I think, when she started this project. And she was noticing that despite all of the progress that we have made, the dominant narrative really is still that women are born and they grow up and then they become wives and mothers and that those roles are seen as the most vital and the most defining for them, even if they are women who have careers that they, you know, love and are passionate about and successful at. Um, Bollock is deliberately single and deliberately child free. And she wanted to explore both of those aspects of her life um, through her own experience and look at the increasingly common phenomenon of women choosing not to get married and or choosing not to have kids. Um, All the Single Ladies is a book that came out this year that dives into some more of the research about that if you're looking at uh, things on this topic. Um, Bollock's mother passed when she was young, so she didn't have, you know, a female relative or her mom role model that she could talk to about this decision. So she turns instead to the works of her fam- famous favorite, <laughs> both. She, uh, words are hard. Uh, she <laughs> looks to the works of her favorite women writers who also went against the tides of their time and sort of constructs her own, you know, council of elders, or like imaginary council of dead elders, um, including Charlotte Perkins Gilman, Edna St. Vincent Millay, uh, who you love, I love, know. Love, love, love. 
and Edith Wharton, among a few others. Um, and she talks about her life and her decisions and how reading these women's books and their essays and learning about their lives, reading biographies of them influenced her own thinking about the decisions that she made in her life and in her career and how they helped her shape her conception of herself as a single, uh, sort of decidedly single child-free woman. The book's not perfect, and there was a lot of really interesting criticism about it that came out. So if you do read it, I, I suggest reading the book and then going and reading some of the critical essays about it. Um, Bollock's sources are relatively homogenous, um, and the kind of life uh, this of independence and career-drivenness that she imagines for herself is really shaped by the fact that she's a privileged white woman. Um, she doesn't do a terribly great job of acknowledging that in the text, um, but the book itself is very thought-provoking. It will give you a new list of feminist heroes and a mile-long reading list. I remember like, as Bollock started talking about different Edna St. Vincent Millay things or different Edith Wharton stuff that I had never read, being like, oh, I need to go read that. And um, Charlotte Perkins Gilman, I had only ever read The Yellow Wallpaper, and so I went back and read Her Land, uh, which is so interesting. And there's currently a feminist group trying to build a utopia modeled on what Gilman describes in Herland. Anyway, really interesting stuff. Um, definitely not a like, here's a book that's a roadmap to your life, but there's really not a book that does that for anyone. But it's definitely interesting, especially if you are nearing the point in your life where everyone is asking you when you're going to get married or start making babies, and you're thinking that maybe you don't want to do those things. Uh, so again, the book is called Spinster, Making a Life of One's Own. It's by Kate Bollock, B-O-L-I-C-K. All right. It's that time again. It's time for my last pick. Bring it on. Yeah. The last choice today is Into the Black, the extraordinary untold story of the first flight of the Space Shuttle Columbia and the astronauts who flew her by Roland White. I think I'm just going to pick like books with really long titles as my last <laughs> choice like for every podcast now because it seems to be a thing that's happening. We um, should have an all the books longest subtitle contest. Yeah. You know, like... There was a time where I just did not find space to be that interesting. Like, I, I just, I don't know why. You're like, you're supposed to be excited about space and dinosaurs, I think, when you were a kid. But I mm -hmm. just wasn't really interested in space until one day I happened to be at Epcot when there was a shuttle launch. And we were oh, all cool. standing outside and you could just see it go right over you. It was amazing. And I was like, that is so cool. And then I really became interested in space again. Um, and this is a great book if you are interested in space. Again, it's called Into the Black, and it's about the NASA's... Well, I can't speak. <laughs> Apparently, we're not going to be able to talk today. Um, <laughs> NASA's Space Shuttle Columbia, um, the first time it launched was April 12th, 1981. It took off from Cape Canaveral, and it was the most advanced craft of its time. And this was its maiden flight, and on board were astronaut John Young and test pilot Bob Crippen. And less than an hour into their flight, it was obvious that things were wrong, and they discovered that parts of the heat shield, which is what keeps the ship from going up in flames upon re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere, um, those parts of it were missing, which, you know, is a bad thing. That's that's very bad. Um, and Into the Black is like this real-life thriller. It's just this race against time story uh, about how they're going to solve this, and there's like a spy agency involved, and it's just, it's really, really fun and interesting. Um, and it's just about how NASA sought to solve the crisis and bring the shuttle back safely. Um, and it's told using interviews and NASA oral histories and recently declassified information regarding this mission. Um, and there's this really cool quote on the back that I like that said, Into the Black told me stuff I never knew before, and I worked at NASA for 30 years. 
which is by Michael Full, a former astronaut and International Space Station commander. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, So, like I said, because this is recently declassified information. Um, It's also reminded me of Leaving Orbit by Margaret Lazarus Dean, which I really, really liked, which is kind of like when the space shuttle program ended. Um, So it's a great comparison. This is like, yay, excitement for this first thing. Um, And it's just great fun. So there you have it, space nerds. Um, It's Into the Black by Roland White. Cool. My last pick this week is one that came out recently, but I didn't know about it until a couple of days ago. So I'm going to talk about it because it's exciting and I think it's important. It's called What Works? Gender Equality by Design by Iris Bonet or Bonet. I'm not sure which. It's B-O-H-N-E-T. I'm sorry. Uh, we and just can't this, say words today, so it's fine. Make words up whatever are, you want. <laughs> right. Wording is hard. Pretty yes. soon we're just going to give all of the authors uh, unicorn names. Yes. Make monkey uh, noises like in appreciation. <laughs> so I make an excellent monkey noise. I think everyone um, does. I think it's in our gene. <laughs> like literally. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what works? Gender equality by design. Uh, Bonette is a PhD. She's a researcher. She's a business lady. And this book is essentially evidence-based, like research-proven suggestions for building workplace environments that support gender equality, rather than you know, doing the stuff that we hope will work, but that doesn't actually work according to science of trying to get individual people to change their ideas about gender, or really to change the unconscious biases that they don't know they have, because that's how unconscious bias works. Um, She talks uh, about how gender equality is both a moral and a business imperative. It's the right thing to do. Um, It's also good for business, because then you tap into the full talent pool, not just men, but also women. Um, And then presumably, if you're selling a product, you're also targeting a wider base. Um, She acknowledges that these are ideas that we also want to be able to apply to training um, for race equality and for other, you know, other kinds of inclusivity in the workplace. Um, But there's just not as much research and data about those and especially about intersectionality. So those are coming, but the book is specifically about workplace design uh, for supporting gender equality. It's fascinating. She looks at um, diversity training programs and like gender sensitivity programs that are supposed to change people's ideas and stereotypes. Basically, none of them are evidence-based. So giant corporations spend tons of money uh, on programs that they make employees sit through that actually don't do anything. And sometimes uh, telling people not to think about the stereotypes that are there actually activate those stereotypes in their brain and make them more likely to act on the stereotypes, even if they're trying not to, which is a weird catch 22, but brains are very weird. Uh, So she pulls together really interesting research from all over to look at the tools that we need to change gender equality in classrooms and boardrooms, really with a focus on workplaces. But she also gets at um, institutions of higher learning and talks about how these benefit us, not just morally and benefit us having a society in which gender equality exists, but how they also benefit uh, businesses directly. It's it's wonderful so far. I'm not finished with it. I read a piece about this book, I think at the end of last week on uh, Fast Company, that someone just happened, someone I follow on Twitter just happened to tweet it, and I ordered the book immediately. So I've been working my way through it. Um, but if you're thinking about this in your own workplace, or you're thinking about starting a company, uh, or this is just a thing that you care about, and you might 
might be able to make some applications of it to home life, to organizations you're a member of, to school, whatever. Um, I think you'll find actually actionable advice um, that has science behind it. And, you know, she's not getting it like people are bad, people are sexist. Certainly some of them are. Um, but very many of the instances of gender equality, gender inequality that exist exist despite people's best intentions. Um, and so she looks at what can we do to get around, uh, you know, having to count on our brain's ability to change or not change and just create environments that make gender equality possible. I love the idea. I love that there is actual science behind these things. The writing is not academic or stuffy. It's very straightforward. She gives cool examples for things. I'm really, really into it. I'm as I might actually say, totally here for it. Uh, so, the <laughs> so the book is, again, What Works? Gender Equality by Design by Iris Bonet. All right. Okay, what are you going to go read now? Oh, with a heavy heart, I'm going to read the last book in the Jacoby trilogy. Oh, I'm you sad. love them. I love them. I don't want it to be the last one. Maybe it won't be. Maybe he'll change his mind and write more. But... The first one was called Jacoby, the second one was Beastly Bones, and this third one is Ghostly Echoes. Um, Jacoby is sort of a, it's kind of like a supernatural Sherlock Holmes story. Um, it's about a detective named Jacoby and his partner, Abigail Rook. And in the Ghostly Echoes, a uh, ghost hires them to solve her murder. So, it just sounds awesome, and I don't want it to end. Aww. But I'll do I'm it sorry. anyway. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to read next, but I just started the audiobook of Heartburn by Nora Ephron, uh, which was recommended to me a couple of weeks ago by our friend Wallace, who also works uh, for Book Riot. And she said it was wonderful and funny and one of the best audiobooks that she had listened to. So I've been in the mood for something funny and insightful uh, to get me off a kick of business books that I've been on. Uh, so I'm going to be enjoying listening to that and figuring out what I'm going to read for the next couple of shows. Does she read it herself? No, Meryl Streep does. Nice. It's great. Uh, yes, it's a really excellent combination. Uh, so that's my pick. Those are our books this week. That is our show. Thanks again to Open Road Media for sponsoring. There'll be a link that you can find in our show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books. Look for episode 50. Um, you'll be able to download your free ebook of the nutmeg tree and get as much information as you want about Marjorie Sharp's other ebooks that Open Road Media is bringing back into digital print. Go to bookriotlive.com to register for Book Riot Live. Uh, get 40 bucks off your registration. Get your free water bottle, RSVP for special events before anybody else is allowed to. Uh, drop us a line and send us questions for our anniversary show at allthebooks at bookriot.com. You can hit us up on Twitter. If you're sending us questions on Twitter, let us know that they're for the show so that we don't just answer them on Twitter and then not have things to talk about on the show. Um, I am Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is at Miss Liberty. And if you've got a minute and you could rate us or review us on iTunes, iTunes helps us out, also gives us a bump in the Apple algorithm magic so that other people looking for bookish shows can find their way to us. And every now and then we have openings for advertisers on the show. So if you're interested in advertising on all the books, you can email advertising at bookriot.com. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And that's it. Woohoo! Happy reading. <laughs> Happy reading. Happy reading.